Hello. Hello. Hi. It's good to be here again. Um, so I think I was reminded it was four years ago that I was here, right here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Is this working now? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Thank you. Um, and it's good to be back. Uh, I think, was it a, a year ago or so? I think there was one Sunday I came and did pulpit supply. Um, and it's, it's good to see you again. Some of you were kind enough to say that you actually remember things from four years ago. I am so flattered. <laughs> My kids could remember things I said five minutes ago. Um, and so I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to that uh, there were things that God used to, uh, that are still in your, in your memory. And I also want to say, I don't know the whole journey that you have been on as a church. I'm sure it's been a, a long and bumpy road, but... Um, God has answered your prayers, and so I look forward to thanking you know, Eric myself, and I'm sure we'll have some nice chats over the weekend, um, as I'm sure many of you will have nice chats with Eric and his wife, too. Um, this weekend, I wanted to explore, so four years ago, we talked about the gospel, and um, and what it means to not just start in the gospel, but live in the gospel, and I'd like this weekend to, I guess, consider it something like a part two of well, this is a big thing, the gospel, and it has so many implications, so many profound effects that go deep and go wide. And so I'm going to piece together um, some areas that, uh, that I think the gospel helps us to see through a new lens, to give us a different perspective. It kind of changes the way we see God, we see ourselves, we see our world. And, and I hope uh, we can see the connection between some of these messages and, and how it comes directly from an understanding of the gospel. So, if you have your Bibles, we're looking at Luke 18. Nine. We're looking at almost the whole chapter. So I will try to read somewhat quickly, from, starting from verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his head to heaven, but beat his breath, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the children of the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. 
And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. I'm going to go to verse 35. And he drew near to Jericho. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and he heard a crowd going by. He inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed God, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Well, different people have different mindsets. I want you to consider how middle-class people are different from, let's say, lower-class people. If you don't have a job, what do you do? Probably work on your resume, send it out, you know, make contacts, go to job fairs, maybe you pursue some specialized training. I mean... There's some things you can do, and so you go and do what you can. But but what if you're a cripple in Bangladesh? What do you do? You're going to send out your resume? You're going to, like, what, make content? Like, what are you going to do? It's, it's a different reality for the very poor, for the destitute. There's no illusion that they can go out and get a job. For them, it's not about trying it's about mercy well I want us to consider this contrast between the middle class and the very poor the haves and I'm going to say the have nots and as we look at these different stories today I I want to see this contrast between those who are weak and poor and bankrupt and those who aren't and to see that that they are very different worlds different mindsets, different perspectives. I'm going to take the first and last together, the tax collector and the blind beggar. What do they have in common? Well, pretty clear, they both cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, they cried out. The beggar cries out all the more, it says, and they're like, be quiet, you're making a ruckus, you old guy, just... Be quiet. Why are you causing so much trouble? And yet, all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
And Jesus turns to him and says, Your faith has made you well. Saying, not just you will be physically healed, but you are, you are healed all the way through. Your faith has saved you. Tax collector, and Jesus' parable here, is crying out, head bowed, pounding his chest, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Wouldn't even lift his head, just standing in the back, sitting in, be merciful to me, a sinner. One needed forgiveness, one needed healing. But let me suggest, they had the same cry, right? The same posture, the same attitude, disposition. They're, they're just begging for mercy. Mercy, God, show me mercy. They understood there was no arguing with God. There was no negotiating with God. There was no, well, if you do this, I'll do that. You know, I can offer you this. There was no offering anything. There was just begging. Begging. Do you know what that posture feels like? You got nothing. You got nothing. And all you can do is beg. Do you remember a time when you felt like you really blew it? In a moment of anger, lust, I don't know, something irrational, just weakness, you blew it big time. You did things to your family, your spouse, your kids, your friends, I don't know, you just, you did something big and stupid, and you are guilty. You are in the doghouse. Big time on the sofa. You are cast out of the house. I mean, you, you know that feeling, and you're like, you know, can I get my toothbrush? Like, I don't know. Like, you, you, you have nothing. You have no dignity. You have nothing. Or do you remember feeling? Do you remember times? Okay, just uh, this past winter, I got sick. I was laid out in bed for like three days. I did not get out of bed for three days. I didn't think. I could stay in bed for that long. You just get bored, you're tired. I mean, I just slept for all this time. I was going to fall. I just, all I could do is moan, go to the bathroom, eat a little bit, and then go back to go back to bed. That's like this, like, utter helplessness. You know what that feels like, right? You, you're just, there. you got nothing. That's the posture. Well, then the story moves on to children. These children, these children, and, and maybe you, you, you're familiar with the background of Jesus' day. Children were not highly regarded. I mean, today we love our children. Of course we value our children. You know, they are precious, they are priceless. But in Jesus' day, eh, not so much. You know, I mean, they don't count the women and children, right? Children are just, and in this context, you see that picture of, oh, don't bother our master with these little kids. Send them away. Because, well, because they're not that important. And yet Jesus said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child shall not enter. What does that mean? What does that mean? To receive the kingdom of God like a child. I think it refers to the fact that kids, they got nothing. They have no resources, they have no abilities, they have no skills, they have no job, they have, they've got 
Theirs it is, is an existence of dependence. I mean, I, I see all these kids. You guys have all these wonderful young kids. I mean, when they're first, I mean, they can't even burp without you, right? They can't do anything without you. You have to do everything for these little rascals, precious little rascals. Every meal, every piece of clothing, every toy, every doctor's visit, every trip, activity, I pay for it. I pay for those. And, you know, never have, have my son go pull out the ball and go, Dad, Dad, I'll get this. <laughs> never happened. And even if he did, even if he did, What's he gonna do for? I gave him that money too. I mean, that's nothing. Yes, well, whatever he has, he got his grandpa gave it to him. You know, he has nothing to offer me. My wife and I: meals, laundry, supervise of library, baths, teeth, diapers, car seat. Never gave us a dime. <laughs> nothing. Theirs is an existence of complete and utter. Dependent. Tax collectors, beggars, children, all point to this theme, this world of weakness, of bankruptcy. To come like a child, to come like a beggar, to come like a tax collector, is to come weak, powerless, helpless, undeserving, empty, and bankrupt. And then Jesus says, unless we enter the kingdom of God like a child, we cannot enter the kingdom. This is the only way you get in. There is no other way. This is like the only door in. You come weak or you don't come. I venture to say, these pictures of tax collectors and beggars and children, that's not us. We are, from what I can tell, middle class, upwardly mobile, white collar-ish, professional-ish people. You have abilities, you have education, you have resources, and you're good people. You spend your Fourth of July at a church retreat. You're good people. I mean, you're not like these gangbangers, you know, out of prison. You're not orphans in Haiti, right? You're good, well-to-do people who live in Orange County and like. You're a lot more like the next guy, the rich young ruler, who stands in contrast to highlight the difference between him and tax collectors and beggars and children, his rich young rulers, who was a good boy, I mean, who kept the law since his youth, at least to the best of his own knowledge. Jesus says, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor. And then he went away sad because it said he was extremely wealthy. Well, you see, where children, beggars, tax collectors, they had nothing. This guy had something, right? He had more than a little something. I mean, I picture him, he has money. He has, he's a, probably a man of status in his village, man of influence, respected, moral in his religious society. I mean, money... My guess he was athletic and good looking too. I mean, so he's probably just some of those. It's not fair sometimes. He had it all, probably. 
And then Jesus said, you know how difficult it is for people like that to enter the kingdom of God? Easier for Cam to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, do you really believe that? <laughs> because I don't think extreme wealth is a disadvantage in life. I wish it very much for myself and my children. <laughs> you know, I think it's a great advantage. And yet Jesus is very clear in saying, this is not an advantage. This is a disadvantage. Why is it such a disadvantage? Well, I think, obviously we can love money and love things too much, and that's its own problem. But in the context of Luke 18, I think the issue here is, like the Pharisee in the temple... The rich young ruler was blind to his bankruptcy. It's not that the Pharisee, in, in Jesus' uh, parable about the two guys in the temple, uh, that went to the temple, the Pharisee and the tax collector. I mean, the Pharisee was a hell-deserving sinner too. But his goodness blinded him from his own depravity. Likewise, I think, this rich young ruler, his goodness and his wealth blinded him from his spiritual bankruptcy. See, the danger is you think you have something. You think you have something. When spiritually, we don't. We don't. There is this danger in the middle class thinking that we have something when we don't. We live in a world where we send out our resumes. We pound the pavement. We make the phone calls. We go online. We do what we can. We do not just sit on the street begging for mercy. Because we have something. We can do something. Translated into the spiritual world, we call this legalism. Be good. Try harder. Do more. We call this legalism. The attitude with which we are to come to God is that we've got nothing. We are beggars. We are bankrupt. We are condemned. This is the only way we come to God. Then the passage goes on to talk about, you know, give all you have to the poor, uh, give, sell all you have, give the money to the poor, and come follow me. What do we do with that? Oh, there's passages like that always, you know, kind of wrinkles our little theological paradigms. Because it sounds like Jesus is saying, salvation by sacrificial altruism, or something like that, right? Give to the poor, and then you can have the kingdom of God. Now, I think most of us will quickly point out that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, and it's not through our altruism. So praise God for that, huh? <laughs> yeah, because if we had to sell all that, we, we'd be a lot of sad people walking through town, you know, leaving Jesus. But, but is it really? Can we, I mean, are we done? Is that it? Is that it? I mean, what do we do with this? Do we have to give up everything? Well, no, we're not saved by our sacrifices. But then, 
But then why didn't Jesus stop the rich young man? No, 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 no. You don't really have to sell it all. You just trust me, and then you'll be saved. It's not by your sacrifice. It's by my grace. Why did you stop him? <laughs> or, or when Peter then says, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. Why did Jesus? Well, you didn't really have to do that. You said, you have saved by grace anyway. He didn't say that. He said, you're blessed. You're going to receive many, many times more over for the sacrifice. Why, did, why does Jesus like this idea? When we're like, how do we? What do we do with this? Well, it seems to me that what this reveals is not a doctrine of salvation. This, uh, like, how you're saved by you know what you sacrifice. But it reveals, if we were tying to the theme we're developing here, it reveals an attitude. Are you weak and broken and bankrupt? You see, beggars. They don't negotiate their terms. Beggars don't negotiate. They don't weigh costs and benefits. They give up everything they have because they don't have anything. Sure, take it all, Jesus. Take all of life. All that I have. Because if you're bankrupt, it's a pretty obvious situation. Give up the nothing that you have to gain the everything that Jesus offers. It's kind of an obvious proposition. But for the rich young man, not so much. You see, it shows he's not bankrupt. He's not. He has something. He has something that he doesn't want to give up. It shows he's not bankrupt. But the only way you enter the kingdom of God is when you're bankrupt. You see, the powerless, the bankrupt, they have nothing to lose and everything to gain. For those of us who have trouble giving up what we have, it only shows that we are, in fact, not bankrupt. But the only way you come to Jesus is bankrupt. You see, the danger of being good, of having wealth, education, upwardly mobile, the danger is that our middle class sensibilities blind us from the fact of our spiritual bankruptcy. We live through life thinking we have something and we can do something. This is our whole earthly existence. The problem is that is not true in our spiritual relationship with God. When I thought about this, I thought, oh, come on, Lord. What do you mean, nothing? I've worked really hard. <laughs> I've served you in ministry these many years. I've tried to be a good father and a good husband. I pay my taxes. I recycle. I do all kinds of good things. What do you mean nothing, nothing, nothing? I'm, come on, I'm, I've got something, don't I? I've got something. And I feel like Jesus says to me, Paul, see, that's the problem. The problem is that you think you do. Because you don't, and because you think you do, you don't know how to enter or live in the kingdom of 
You know, it is a hard passage for those of us who live in the richest country human society has ever seen. Those of us who live in an affluent part of the country who are educated and professional, upwardly mobile, and who pretty live in a culture that shamelessly pursues wealth and power and status and comfort. But we need, we must be warned. Not just because it's true that we are spiritually bankrupt, but because, may I suggest, we don't know how to live like we're not. I'm sorry, we don't know how to live like we are bankrupt. We are unfamiliar with a world, the world of the lower class. We, we, that's not our world. We don't know what it's like to be an orphan in Haiti or a beggar in Bangladesh or a condemned criminal. We, what, and yet, that is a posture we must learn. We don't see ourselves this way. No one around us sees us this way. And now the danger is we don't think God does Jesus is not offering a can-do religion. Jesus is offering hope to desperate, hopeless sinners who beg for mercy. You see, middle class, we don't beg. When's the last time you ever begged? For anything. When's the last time I've ever begged? Middle class, we don't know how to beg. We don't even know how to beg. And yet, I see Jesus saying, that's the only way in. The hymn writer says it well. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. For those of us who may actually feel guilty and inadequate, we're not enough, and we feel our guilt and our inadequacy and our failure. You're in the right place! <laughs> like, you're on the right road! You're, you're, you know, that's what Jesus said. Tax collectors and sinners are going to be entering the kingdom of God before, before us church folk, good church folk. You are in the right place. You are you. That is the posture. That is the posture we must all learn. Insignificant children are welcome. Blind beggars find mercy. Despised and condemned tax collectors find forgiveness and acceptance. This is the good news for the poor, for the guilty, for the bankrupt. Not for the middle class. I'm not a Bollywood fan, but I heard the story about this one Bollywood movie star, Salman Khan. I don't know. Apparently, there is a incident when um, he was doing this movie shoot, and there was this beggar nearby, and he took a closer look. He goes, 
Oh, I know that guy. That's the beggar from like my village. You know, whatever, whatever. And he went and he talked to him and he said, it was, it was him. And he said, you know, how you been? You know, I don't know. He strikes up this conversation with this beggar and buys him clothes and food and gives him 25,000 rubies, which is like $500 or something. I mean, that's, that's the story. That's our story. That we are, that we are better. God came along. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to hook you up. <laughs> I got you now. That's our story. That's our song. We renounce our righteousness, our wealth, our power, our strength. And we cling only to the mercy of God. Just a couple other thoughts. Um, I think weakness and troubles can be a great tutor in this. When you fail, when you are condemned, when you blow it, when you're bedridden for days and can't do a thing, as much as I hate all those things, it is a good tutor. Get used to that posture. Get used to that posture. Learn how to beg like a beggar. Allow God to use these things to teach and humble our hearts. Because, because this, this is this is life in the kingdom, which is my second, one more point I want to say. This posture is not just how we enter the kingdom of God. This is how we live in the kingdom of God. That God is always strong, and we are always weak. God is always rich, and we are always poor. God is always the giver, and we are always the recipient. We don't just start in his mercy. We live in his mercy. You see, the good news is for those who need it, there's mercy to be found. That's the good news. There is mercy to be found. Just want to end with uh, this journal entry. What, uh, an old friend was sharing her journal and she wrote this. I spent quite a lot of time this morning trying to fix my hair and put on makeup Maybe because my husband's on vacation or, and at home, or maybe just an extra spurt of vanity. But as I sit here now, Lord Jesus, fresh from my time before the mirror, I see that I have put on not just my hair doing makeup, but a facade, armor, an entire persona. It's easy to believe this external creature I've created together, strong, with it. But in your presence, in your love, you remind me that this is all an act. And I don't have to put on an act with you. In fact, I can't reach you as long as I'm putting on an act. And I see that I am still inside that short, fat, ugly, overly excitable, her face pressed up against the window, desperately wanting to be more, little girl of my childhood. A loser. I tried so hard to cover her up because she's not very cool, certainly not worth loving. And I succeeded. 
I've fooled nearly everyone around me. I've even fooled myself. But in that lie, I have lost you. You've somehow miraculously given me a moment of truth. As that ugly little girl right now, I feel you like never before. You don't come to God with your hair near your nails. You come at that ugly little girl, broken and wounded. And have you found mercy? Let's pray together. <coughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we confess. that so much of our lives is about being strong and being good and being successful and being competent. And yet, to enter the kingdom of God, Lord, we must learn to be like children and beggars, tax collectors, Lord, I pray that we would, you would, by your grace, help us to put off our middle-class sensibility, to be awakened to our spiritual condition, to be humbled in our hearts, stripped of our pride, that we know how to beg. We know how to beg because, because we don't have anything else. We have nothing to offer you. We have nothing to bring. And we celebrate that Luke 18 is a story of how mercy is found. Mercy for the tax collector, mercy for the children, mercy for the blind beggar. Rich young rulers walk away sad, but those who know that posture of weakness find mercy in you. Lord, this weekend, I pray that we would find that mercy. We would celebrate not our strength, but in our weakness, 